Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's episode. Hey, guess what? Before we get into it, you might have heard, I am drafted to the two Ramagpies as a part of the Carlton Draft. I'm going to be playing a game, dominating, kicking six, and then resetting at quarter time. For the first time in Carlton Draft history, one lucky Victorian women's community club will get the chance to draft the AFLW GOAT, Erin Phillips, to play as a wild card. How bloody good's that? If you want to enter this now to get her down to your football club, visit thecarltondraft.com.au. That's thecarltondraft.com. KO's got you covered this footy season with every game of every round live and ad break free during play. Wow, in the AFL this week, there are some huge games. Collingwood versus Adelaide, live with no ad breaks during play, exclusive in Victoria. Giants versus Bulldogs. Oh, I remember that game. I think it was 2016 at Giants Stadium to get the Bulldogs into the grand final. I will never forget that one. Live with no ad breaks free during play, exclusive in Victoria. And Essendon versus North Melbourne. Geez, that's the old Ben McKay Cup, exclusive to Fox Footy, available on KO. Don't forget those NBA playoffs. They are dominating at the moment. It is just getting bigger and better than ever. Watch every game of both Eastern and Western Conferences finals live with ESPN on KO. There's plenty of room for everyone, no matter what you want to watch. So get on board with KO, now also available on Hubble. Welcome back to the Dylan Friends Podcast, Season 3. I'm friggin' excited. I've got some big things in plan for this year with big names all across the board. But who better to get for the first ep than the man who put me on this earth? My father, Jimmy Buckley. But for those of you who don't know Jim, he's a three-time premiership player for the Carlton Blues in the AFL. Known not only for his on-field talents, but his love of drinking beers and going to the races. Three flags, a BNF, so he's done pretty well for himself, and I have no doubt he'll let us know all about it. But the funny thing is, things are taking a turn these days. I used to be known as Jimmy's son, now he's Dylan's dad. Hi everyone and welcome to season three of my son's podcast. I can't wait to see what he's got planned for 2020. I'm freaking so proud of him. If I'm honest, we were quite worried about him growing up. He didn't make friends very easily and he was always trying to kiss his father on the lips. What? Hmm. But he's truly blossomed through Dylan Friends podcast and I have all you Deleavers to thank. So from me to you, here's to the best season yet. Go get him, darling. Love you. Jimmy, welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast. Are you excited to be here? Oh, it's fantastic, mate. Great introduction by your mother. She sounds fantastic. <laughs> now, season three, are you upset it's taken this long to get you on the show? Well, I thought I would have been on here, but you've had a lot of great uh, guests and uh, it takes your time, I suppose, to get around. <laughs> <laughs> it does. And in the intro, it did say the dad kissing business there. I know you've got a bit to say about that. No, that's not true. You didn't kiss me on the lips. The only one I've seen kiss on the lips is... Uh, Tommy Sheridan, Brian, they're very close. <laughs> Tommy Sheridan, well done, Tommy up there. <laughs> all he does is kiss his dad on the lips, and uh, he cannot sell a pair of sunnies to save himself. That bloke. Anyway, Dad, thank you so much again for coming on the show. Uh, obviously, very excited to have you on. Uh, as I said, I, I've known a lot about you growing up, being my father, uh, and as you do, you know a lot about your dad. But a lot of that information was secondhand. So I've heard it from your friends, I've heard it from your brothers, your sisters. And whatnot. when I was collating some information today to talk about, I realised that a lot of these stories, I, I don't know the truth. So it'll be great to, to get to the bottom of it today. Well, there's a lot of stories out there, Dylan. You don't believe all of them. <laughs> and your, your listeners, your podcast listeners out there, be very careful what you believe in. <laughs> all right, Dad. Um, I want to start from the start because you had an interesting upbringing uh, in Kyneton, in the country. Um, that's where I get my country blood and my, and my toughness. But... Um, Growing up with eight brothers and sisters in Kyneton, what was that like? 
Yeah, look, it was, it's a great environment. You know, we, uh, my father uh, or your grandfather was a uh, butcher, very hard-working butcher and well-loved in Kyneton. And uh, mum was a house wife. She never uh, went to work really, but only worked at home and did a lot of things and that. But, you know, as I said, eight kids to look after. She did a wonderful job. And uh, we were never wanting for anything in those days. You know, we weren't spoilt, but uh, we had a great... Uh, Affinity to each other and looked after each other, and, and you know, like it still goes on today. Like the eight of us are very, very close, and it's it's a great bonding. And and pre your illustrious football career, we'll touch on the first bit, but you wanted to, you actually wanted to be a jockey growing up. Yeah, Is that look, true? <laughs> I used to, I loved riding horse. I had a good mate who had a riding school up there, Peter Bergen, and uh, I used to frequent up there all the time, and he'd uh, break in horses, and I just loved the uh, the horse animal, and. Uh, we do riding schools. Had a riding school up there. And we'd take uh, break horses in. I'd go to the horse sales with him and do that sort of stuff. Plus, I used to ride a bit of track work down at Kyneton for Pat Cloisi, who was a local trainer up there. And ride at, at, at the end, we used to ride gallops, but uh, that was a bit dangerous. And uh, when I started looking at playing football, I had to drop off. That was too dangerous. So uh, yeah, and I would not be like you know riding horses. Uh, it's a very dangerous sport, as I said. It is, and uh, you know, it's funny because we'll touch on this a few times. But I know a lot of things that I've done in the past that you've got very angry about, and now I found out a lot of things that you've done, and I understand why there might have been that you holding back. Well, you, uh, you you've got up to a fair bit. That's exactly right, and, and I know the uh, you know, I know the danger what's in there, and that's why I try to hold you back. But uh, <laughs> that's what happens in life. You, you got to have a bit of go in you. So you talk about you talk about. Um, doing the jockey stuff, having to finish it up to play footy. How did you sort of get into footy? I know you played at Kyneton. Your dad was, uh, you know, grandpa was a coach. How did all that come about, playing at Kyneton? Oh, it just came through the ranks. You know, that we, we had the under-9s, under-12s, under-15s, and, you know, in Kyneton it's very, very cold there some days. You know, it even snowed on, on numerous occasions up there. But, uh, look, I love football, and football's, you know, the greatest sport in Australian history, you know. And that was just part of life. Squash is pretty fun. We, uh, you know, we, we were the Kyneton Tigers and uh, I was a mad Richmond supporter in those days and, you know, I could tell you more about Richmond than anyone, that, uh, you know, the old Burke, Barrett and Clay and those guys and I went through the ranks, I played a few games in the reserves and played three or four games in the seniors at the age of 15 and, and uh, Kyneton was zoned in those days through the Benigo League where some of our greatest players have come down, like the Southies, the uh, Keos, um, Ashmans. Uh, Desi English, Peter McConville, Kenny Sheldon. It rolls on and on and on. Jeff Southey. All the boys. You know, I didn't know that Jeff Southey... I didn't know a couple of years ago how good a player Jeff Southey was. You know, he won two premier, he won two best and fairest at Carlton in the heyday from from full back. Mm. That's unheard of. Hey, unheard of. I played half-back. I was pretty handy. Yeah, um, yeah. One of the stories I love is that with when, we, when you were playing at Carlton, you were saying that you used to actually play against the jails, around the local jails, so the actual prisoners. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> the Castlemaine Jail was full and running in those days, and they also had uh, the Marmsville Youth Training Centre that's still open now. And on a uh, Saturday, they used to let uh, the, some of the uh, inmates out to play against Kyneton or any other side, Sanders or those. They let them out to get a bit of recreation. I don't think they do it now, but yeah, there's some nice blokes come out. A couple of murderers were playing against us one day. What was that story? Because elaborate. It's oh, a podcast. We're, we're playing against uh, South Benigo, and uh, the guy came out and. Uh, he said uh, he's playing out of the one of the jails up there, and I, I got to know his name at the end of the day. But I kicked four goals in the first quarter on him, and he, I was pretty like quick. father, like son. 
Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I kicked four goals. I didn't even next thing. He grabbed me. He grabbed me. He said, "Listen, son." He said, "You kick another one." He said, "I'm going to more or less kill you." I said, Hang on. I said "Go." I said, "Go and get stuffed, you old prick." Anyway, you know, more or less like that. Anyway, I found out a bit after half time that he was in there for murder. I said, "Hang on." <laughs> I sort of kept away from him in the second half. But now there's some characters there. Like they used to come out the Luttrells and all those boys. They had a bit of, bit of spent a little time in there, and um, you know it's pretty pretty tough game in that in those days up Benigo League and. Also, that you know, it was a great standard outside the AFL or VFL in those days, and and the the VFA uh, Bendigo League was probably the second, third in line. You know what I mean? In, in competition, as far as standard goes. So then you're saying that now because you got picked up when you were 16 at Carlton. So when I was 16, I was still, you know, getting fed by mum pretty much. You, yeah. You've moved down to Melbourne to play footy. How did how did all that come about? How did you get scouted down there? Was it just like a trial game or? Well, we all went up and played in the under-16 under Victorian side up in Queensland, and we had a very talented side. Um, fortunate enough to get in there with Kenny Sheldon, Paul Morwood, uh, numerous blokes that have gone on and been fair, fairly good players. And we went up there, and as you, as you well admit, same thing out, like a Teal Cup, everyone, every scout's around there. And I had a fair carnival, not a great carnival, but a fair carnival. And I uh, got picked up from from uh, the Carlton zoning, as, as I said before, that we were zoned down there, and they sent me down on a six-week permit. So I'd go down there and train on a Thursday night and go back to Kite and come down on a Saturday, play in the reserves. And I, the first game I got was, was through Ian Thorogood in a, a night game over in uh, Norwood in, in Adelaide. And uh, I come in after half-time and I kicked four goals. And on the way home, Ian Thorogood come up to me on the plane and said, look, you went good tonight, Jimmy. He said, how would you feel about if you were going to play next week or on Saturday this week? In the seniors, that, yeah, in the seniors. That like was a Tuesday debut. night. Yeah, it was a night came over in Adelaide, and he just he said you're going to be playing against Footscray, Footscray next on Saturday, and you know I didn't sleep for a couple of days, but in those days it was you know 16 years of age was a pretty daunting task to go out because they were men, you know, really men in those days, and you know I'm not saying they're not men today, but it was you know, if they hit you then they hit you. you know, there was a lot of king hitting and that sort of stuff going. On. So they had their eyes around you. Is that this is a story I remember? It's just coming to me now. But is there a story that in that first game, again, this might be might be false, but it probably is true. That you thought, look, I know they're going to come after me today, so I'm just going to go up to the biggest bloke on the team and drop him. Nah, that's bullshit. Oh, you could have gone along with that. that was that would have been a good story. <laughs> that's bullshit. <laughs> what was your first contract? What did you get paid? Oh, I think I got. Uh... Probably three thousand for the year, I think. Jeez, that sounds like my contract at the Giants. Yeah, I know. I <laughs> know, uh, but that was about three thousand. I remember that. But, uh, and and Carl, Kyneton got a thousand for me signing up down there. You're listening to the Dylan Friends podcast. Be yourself. Everyone else is taken. Another story. I love this one. I, again, you're going to have to confirm or deny, but I, I think you you can't hide. Is when you got picked up, you were sixteen. So obviously the have a license you have to be 18 years old in australia and and victoria so when you got picked up to carlton you obviously got your three thousand dollars you probably bought a car and Kitten's 45 minutes 50 minutes away from melbourne so basically you had to drive to training but you were illegally driving to training and you didn't want to tell your mum so which is my nan so what you were doing was you were hitchhiking from home to the end of the freeway where you'd leave your car drive to training Illegally, now you're going train, the wrong way around. Drive back, 
and then hitchhike back to home. No, no. What I'd do is I'd, I'd uh, drive back from Kyneton when I was 16 or 17. I'd borrow someone's car. <laughs> I borrowed Greg Townsend's car one day and I'd get back for four months. Anyway, but... Uh, <laughs> And I'd, I'd park it outside Kite and I'd get someone to pick me up and drive me into Mum's and say, I've just got a lift through to Kite and, and I had a car parked out and I'd drive back to Melbourne that, or the next morning or something like that. But Mum, she caught me out there one day. Someone gave me up. She wasn't very happy. <laughs> so when I came to you a few years ago and said that I bought a motorbike oh. and the, the disgust that you looked at me then, do you feel like a bit of a hypocrite now looking back at that? Not really. No, no, no. Not really at all. I could drive, you couldn't ride a motorbike. <laughs> well, I've got a confession, because for the last two years in Sydney, I've been riding around on my moped, so I thought I'd tell you that today. Mm. Well, you need it up in Sydney. You need it up in that, where you live up there, up where the Mardi Gras is up there. Yeah, of course. Thanks for taking me up there, you guys, and all you beautiful blokes up there in Sydney. That's a funny, so I, I will get to that one later, but... um. No, actually, no, we're going to get to it now, because last year, uh, it was actually probably this time of year, we, we went up, Dad came up to the city to visit um, myself, and uh, we had a good weekend, we just played a game out at Blacktown, I think it was, and after the game, Dad was staying at ours with my housemate, Jake. Um, that monstrous house you live in. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a beautiful house, and um, Jake, Toby, Green, we might not even be able to mention these, but Toby Green, Tommy Sheridan, the dad kisser. Uh, Lockie Whitfield and... Jake the Snake. Someone else was there. Jake the Snake. Oh, well, whoever it is, doesn't matter. But it was Mardi Gras, and I've seen you have some good nights. Dad, I've never seen you happier than that night at Mardi Gras in, on Oxford Street in Paddington. You were getting amongst it. You had the glitter on your face. You had the, the sunglasses on. I, I couldn't get you home. I don't think so. I, don't, <laughs> I, I couldn't get those other blokes home. I know that. Very, very <laughs> interesting, that place up there where you live. <laughs> We'll get back on topic. Now, when you got to Carlton, I know when I got there, a lot of tricks got played on me. Um, a lot of pranks early days. Being a 16-year-old, was there any initiations that you had to go through when you were at the club? Did any of the old boys throw any tricks on you or did they uh, did they just respect you because you were scarier? No, that, that, it was a, uh, you know, there was an old, the oldest type of guy was there. Like, when I say older, the, the, the older brigade, like the, the, the Jezzers who was coaching at, the, at 79 and... Um, you know, the Southies had been there a few years. Keos, Armstrongs, Mackays, those type of guys. Brucey Duell. Then there was the younger guys. I was, I was probably the first one to come in to the, break the mould of the younger guys. You know, Percy was there and there was a bit of a click there. Percy wouldn't tap it to me, so I had to give him a spray one day. And when I was only 16, I gave him a spray and he hasn't forgot it since. <laughs> Due to the fact that he was tapping a Keo and Armstrong all the time and I was, I was getting left out, so I told him what I thought of him. What'd you say? Oh, you big useless prick. I said, you, I said, you keep tapping on them. I said, I'll rip one into you. And Purse has got the stutter. He said, Jesus, he's mad. <laughs> <laughs> he's still got the stutter's purse, but he turned it around and started tapping him after that. But he had, look, we had, I sort of was the first one to break the mould to come in. Then, then after that, there was Kenny, Sheldon, Harmsy, um, Desi English, um, Peter McConville, those type of guys who, who crept in. John, I was there. You know, we, we had the right mix and we're just about, you know, we got it right for about two or three, four years and and uh, had great success. And, you know, we, we enjoyed that. So, when we, as a, look, we partied together and there was initiations on the, on you know, how, how to take it down at Norton's on a Monday night and that if you didn't get to Norton's, well, you wouldn't get a game. What did you have to do there? I'd just have a beer with the boys and mingle in and all that sort of stuff. But some of us mingle a bit too long, but... 
mingled until early hours of the morning. But that, that was a, a bit of a ritual for us. And uh, but we, you know, we were all together. You know, what I mean, mainly all together, and we had great fun together. And we respected each other. and We looked after each other on the ground. Exactly right. Nothing wrong with a few cordials. Now, Dad, you said you were sixteen. A few years went past, obviously, and you were the second youngest VFL player, I think, just behind Tim Watson. Yeah, I think that's some, a something like that. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Anyway, um, a couple of years later, I think it was a couple of years. It might have been three years. You're in potential to play in your first grand final, '79. Um, that was the, infam- the, the famous grand final where Wayne Harms knocked the ball back in against Collingwood. Yeah. How did that all come about? Because you, you were playing a little bit that season. How old were you in saying that as well? Uh, 19. You were 19. 18 or 19, I think. Yeah. yeah. yeah 18 but, uh, in your first. So you've been there for two years. You're playing nearly about to go into grand final. How did it all come about? Because Ashy, was it Ash, Rod Ashman got sick? Yeah, well, I was played in the reserves game out at Waverley and we were in the finals out there and I sort of wasn't in contention, but I kicked... Um, I think I kicked six goals, and we only kicked seven that day. And Wes Loss was out there, and uh, Wes was a good advocate of mine, and, and was a great supporter of me through, right, right throughout my career. And he grabbed me on the way back. He said, he t- "When he when Wes gets old, yeah, Wes was a power broken there behind Jack Jack Rout, the old Jack Rout who um, was who taught Wes his craft." And Wes grabbed him and came back to the game. He said, "Look," he said, "You're going to be playing next week," and that was in the second semi final, and you know. That's where it came from. There, I had a good second semi-final. We won it, and picked in the grand final side in the, as a rover. Incredible. And uh, yeah, it just sort of came out of the blue because I hadn't broken neck before that. I broke my neck in Fiji, and I, I was sort of out for uh, <laughs> twelve to eighteen months. You know what I mean? We're going to touch on that oh, yeah. quickly. Yeah. <laughs> you talk about you say you broke your neck in Fiji again. This is saying that when I was going on footy trips, you'd always sort of give me a bit of a, a lesson. Say, don't be stupid. I've just learnt this story of a footy trip in Fiji where you broke your neck. Talk me through it. Yeah, well, we had a bit of a party at one of the houses there one night. We sort of got up on the balcony and I don't know what happened. I went to the wrong end of the pool and someone pushed me. I think it was one of the other rovers. It might have been a Mark II or a, <laughs> So you're on a balcony. A night, on a bit of a roof line. And you've up gone to jump in into Fiji. the pool? Well, I didn't go to jump in. Someone pushed me and I hit the wrong end and I dived into the wrong end and... It wasn't too it wasn't too deep, I know that much. But anyway, so you, over there, they had, they got no x-ray machines over there, so they... I never forget Keith McKenzie and them took me down the doctor Richard Ward who, who came to my birthday they were the beautiful Richard Ward he's a magnificent doctor and he drove me down to one of the main cities down there and they haven't got an x-ray machine so they had a sort of a photo camera or something like that and he said oh that's the best we can do at the moment so he put a big towel around my neck with a, with a safety, great big safety pin and so I had to my neck was playing up a bit, so I was out with water skiing. It looked like that weekend at Bernie's, I did. You were water skiing with, water the, skiing with a, the tail around your well, neck? I didn't know I had a broken neck till I got back, <laughs> playing <laughs> playing soccer with the, with the uh, Fijians. And when I got back, Carlton had one of the most uh, recent um, X-ray machines where you could stand up at, and they could X-ray. And I was getting these pains down my back, something chronic. And so I said, have you played any, what had you done since the injury? You'd gone water skiing, you played soccer. Did you actually play a game? Golf. Golf? No, golf. Yeah, I, Everything did everything, but <laughs> very ordinary. I know that much. But <laughs> when I got back, I said I'll get out of training here anyway. I said I'm not. A, I've got a crook neck or something's wrong with here. So I went to the uh, stood up over the road, which we owned across the road, Carlton Footy Club owned that. And um, they took an X-ray. Next thing I hear an ambulance coming up the road. I get the bloke said, "Don't move, don't move." I said, "What are you talking about?" He said, "You got a broken neck." I said, "Jesus Christ!" I said, "I've been running around like an idiot for the last two weeks." So I was in traction for about. Three or four months after that. So at the start of the year, you've broken your neck, and at the end of the year, you're playing in a flag. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's a remarkable recovery. That's it. It's, just, it's all about the mindset. Yeah, mindset. <laughs> <laughs> so, in saying that, we've talked about your first flag. You've won that. But just quickly, you've won three flags. Yeah. Right? So that's yeah. one and a half between us. Yeah. It's not bad. It's pretty good. I was going to give Des Tudman one. He's got six, so I was going to give Des Tudman one. He's... He starts crying every time I talk about flags. What Don't was that? Listening, Tully. What was your favourite flag? So seventy nine was the one against Collingwood, eighty one against Collingwood again, and then eighty two against the, uh, against the Tigers. Which one's your favourite? Oh, seventy nine sticks out the most. You know, your first one, and and Dad, Dad had been crook. My father, your grandfather, had been really crook, and was, you know, he wasn't going to come through, but he he, he fought out. But he, he came down to the rooms after that, and um, he, he seemed that was come to fruition, you know, I've never seen a grin on his face like it, and he had his photo taken with our number one supporter, Malcolm Fraser, and that really sticks in my mind, that giving him that, and, and mum and that type of thing, you know, that had him down the rooms, and it, it uh, sticks in my mind, but look, they're all great, but, you know, 79 arms, he punches that ball back, if I didn't knock it on to him, arms, he wouldn't be getting all well, his money kicked, out of Toyota. You kicked the ball to him? No, I belted it on, I belted it on the uh, ground, and arms, he picked it up and kicked it out. Maybe if you, picked, it down. if you had picked it up and kicked it, maybe it would have been a lot easier. I couldn't pick it up. I got stuffed <laughs> anyway. But uh, yeah, we look. We, we were just flat out because it was heavy ground that day, and it's, it was a really you know they don't get those grounds like that. You blokes, God Almighty, you, you spoiled you blokes. You wouldn't know what a heavy ground was. But you know, Harms, I played at Preston City Oval a few times. I've, I know what that's like. <laughs> anyway, Ten a.m. on a Sunday morning to Preston City Oval. I've been there. I've done that. Um, this is a good story, Dad. I hope this is true again, but what premiership with this after? It might have been after all three. That's one night you're out in the town with all the boys, having a good time. You've taken the premiership out with you, and then you decided this is actually a bit of a nuisance. We've got to get rid of it. So you've hidden it in the front lawn of someone's house in a certain area in the bushes. I think if you dug a hole and buried the premiership cup the night after the premiership, and then you've come back the next morning to get it, and you couldn't, you nearly couldn't find it. I don't think that was me. I was... <laughs> I get the blame for everything down there, but uh, I think I know we had the Premiership Cup in the club. The club were looking for it for a while. I know I dropped one, one on the eighty-two. I think I dropped it up in the uh, when the, we come back after the game. We also come back to the Social Club and and up there I dropped one down. I had about fourteen dints and had to re uh, mould it or punch a dint and get panel beaded out. I don't know that much. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> cup got in a few different places. You're listening to the Dylan Friends podcast. Do you kiss your dad with that mouth? Another story, so we talked, we touched on before you said Malcolm Fraser. So Malcolm Fraser, forgive me if I'm wrong, Luke is the producer of the show, Luke will jump in, but he's, was he the Prime Minister or was he the yeah, his prime, prime Minister? Minister? So after winning flags, he was a big Carlton supporter, he should invite you out to his house, the lodge? Yeah, on the Monday, or on a Monday he'd fly us up to the lodge. So the lodge was like the, the White House of Australia? Yeah, the White House up yeah. in uh, Canberra and uh, he'd fly us up there and put a big dinner on for us and spoil us and all that sort of stuff and... We went up there two or three times. I know I didn't go that in 1982. I missed the plane because I I won the best in Ferris and I've been crook. And I I sort of got on the piss in the afternoon. <laughs> telling the truth here, <laughs> hope your mother doesn't hear about you getting on the piss. I don't drink. But uh, yeah, I went to Danini's and I sort of caught up with a few blokes there and we had a few bottles of wine and celebrated them winning the best in Ferris and all that. And the plane was leaving at five o'clock. <laughs> I had no hope of getting to the airport, so. I, I still get reiterate the story they tell him up there that when Malcolm Fraser was up there saying, I, I'd like to congratulate Jim Buckley on winning the best and fairest also. He's, he, they said, he's not here, he's posted you. And that was my name down, the postman, because I didn't turn up a lot of the times. 
on places. But it, you know, it was great. It was a great uh, fun and you know that sort of stuff. So you mentioned before you were sick in '82 after winning the flag. But that year, you you actually had glandular. Was it mid year? You had you came down with glandular fever. Uh, I was after a party at I think it was one of Ashy's parties out at his house, and I come back and the next morning and I oh, couldn't get my head off the pillow. And you um, know they say glandulars are kissing. We yeah, blokes just sitting know. there kissing each other all no night. No kissing, no. Um, <laughs> and I never forget. It was coming on the, the finals. Oh, we, we were in right on finals con, contention, and um, I never forget Park and uh, David out there. He's given us a, a spray about this, and he said, "Oh, there's one bloke out there." He said, "And I'm crook as a dog. I, I'm not kidding. I couldn't get out of bed. I, I wasn't. I got. I wasn't allowed to go near the club for four or five weeks due to the fact that it's contagious, and uh, they didn't want that." But he said, there's one bloke out there, he can't even get out of bed, he's that crook. Well, it turned out to be a glandular fever. So I had to go and stay with um, Shane O'Sullivan, and, and Kenny Hunter was living Shane at the time, and, and Carol O'Sullivan, we were all out there, and I'd go, I couldn't train, all, but they sent me out there so no one could come and grab me and take me out to the races or do something stupid like that or get on the piss. Or, so to sort of look at make sure I was all right. But, uh, yeah, that, that then I, I came back, and you wouldn't believe it, in the second semi I came back, and my old mate, Mickey Moldass, oh, as soon as I ran onto the ground, he went whack and kinged me. So I kinged him back and broke my thumb. So <laughs> I didn't only have glandular fever, I had a broken thumb going to the grand final. So how, I, I shouldn't have really got, got a game, but there is a story behind that, how I got a game. What's that? Oh, well, I trained. I, I went, they went down to um, get a mouth, not a mouth cut, a, um, a guard for my hand. Because you can't needle the thumb. It was absolutely broken across the um, top of the thumb. This prosthetic um, guy who was making the, the, the mould for me, it took about nearly all day. And when you get glandular fever, you get tired, very tired. So I was up there about six hours getting it moulded and fitted the hand so you could put a, a, a tie around it so it tied up and give you some sort of support so the ball, when the ball hits it, it doesn't smash your hand. And anyway, you wouldn't believe it. I, got, I was living in Mooney Ponds on top of the hill. It was about 30 degrees. And uh, I said, I'll be able to sleep in the car. And I threw the mould on top of the dashboard. <laughs> And when I woke up, I went to pick the mould up, and it was, it was melted. <laughs> so I go down to training, and, and I said, they said, oh, have you been all, out there all day getting that mould fixture out? I said, yeah. I said, where is it? I said, here it is. It was like a piece of bubble gum. <laughs> and I trained that Thursday night. It was Thursday night. And you understand, you've been in finals and that. You train 10% harder, you're 10% more precise, and you got... 15,000 people there watching you, Carlton fans watching you, how you're training. And I trained atrocious. I couldn't handball, I couldn't do anything. Anyway, it was touch and go where they played me. I heard them in the corridors, the, the great corridors of Carlton, the, the selectors there, they were saying, look, we can't play him because he's, he's just, you know, the hands, you know, he said he couldn't mark, he couldn't do anything. And Bugsy Common was one of the great comedies of uh, of Carlton, one of the greatest, toughest blokes they've ever had down there. He's on the committee and I... I said, I better do something about this. I'm going to miss out on a final here. So I went up and grabbed him by the throat. And I actually picked him up off the ground. Like, the pain that was shooting through my hand, I'm not kidding. You would have cut your hand if I could have. But anyway, he started to go blue. And he put, they said, put him down. They said, I think he's all right. <laughs> anyway, I got a game. I think I got, the first, I got the first kick of the game. I'll never forget that. Kicked the great big torp. But Jono kicked a goal within about three seconds of that year. And... Uh, that was about the second, only about about two other kicks after that. But we got the money. We won. That's the main thing. There's a couple of other things I did that I shouldn't have done, but anyway. What did you? What else did you do? Oh, I just, I just um, tapped a couple of blokes up. 
that needed to be tapped at the right time. <laughs> who? I can't remember. <laughs> Was can't that? remember. Watch who were re- they? Watch a replay. Yeah, okay. We will. So, in saying that as well, that year was one of your best years because you actually nearly win the Brownlow off X amount of games after missing. It, it, some would say if you didn't get a crook, you could have won it. Yeah, that was the only chance I've ever had of really being up there. You know, like uh, I had a wonderful year and I was leading everything. I never got, I was going to build a garage on with, with a boat and, a, and the car and you know, everything I was going to win. <laughs> <laughs> I got up, I got Roy Orbison at the end. Nothing. I got run over right at the end. But I still won the best and fairest, which that's that's the only thing I wanted to win anyway. Yeah, you know, you know, Mark McClure said to me the year before, I never got a vote the year before. He said, oh. I said, I'll tell you, McClure, he still hasn't paid the bet. I said, 500 box it. I said, I'll win it next year. He reneged on the bet as he usually does. Hello, my beautiful friends and family. Guess what? I am back. I am back. Third time lucky. My third time drafted in my life. I'll be making a return to footy as a part of the Carlton Draft, along with some big household names. Not as big as my name, but uh, some quite big names. Isaac Smith, Trent Cotchin, Matty Lloyd, Lee Montagna. Some of the all-time greats of our game, as I've just mentioned. One lucky Victorian women's community club will get the chance to draft the AFLW GOAT Aaron Phillips to play as a wildcard. How bloody good is that? If you're a part of women's community footy and you are keen to get Aaron down, enter now at thecarltondraft.com.au. That's thecarltondraft.com.au. KO's got you covered this footy season with every game of every round live and ad break free during play. Wow, in the AFL this week, there are some huge games. Collingwood versus Adelaide, live with no ad breaks during play, exclusive in Victoria. Giants versus Bulldogs. Oh, I remember that game. I think it was 2016 at Giants Stadium to get the Bulldogs into the grand final. I will never forget that one. Live with no ad breaks free during play, exclusive in Victoria. And Essendon versus North Melbourne. Geez, that's the old Ben McKay Cup. Exclusive to Fox Footy, available on KO. Don't forget those NBA playoffs. They are dominating at the moment. It is just getting bigger and better than ever. Watch every game of both Eastern and Western Conferences finals live with ESPN on KO. There's plenty of room for everyone, no matter what you want to watch. So get on board with KO, now also available on Hubble. <laughs> you touched on earlier about the Mick Moldhouse, um, the Mick Moldhouse hit. Now, I want, to, I want to tell that story from my point of view because... Uh, my best year of playing was, was about 2015, 2016, when Mick came to Carlton. Okay, and I, I you know, I thought we were going pretty well. Um, but it was getting to the stage where he came down, and we hadn't actually met yet. And think people were sort of saying some things to me, like, "Oh, you'd be flat with this decision and stuff." I was like, "Oh, not really. I don't really hate Mick Moldau. Seems like a good guy." Everything, and it just kept happening. So one day, I, again, we mentioned Shane O'Sullivan again. He's a, he's a part of the war, the furniture down there at Carlton. But I went into his office. I said, "Mate, what's?" What's the go? Why is everyone saying this to me about about Mick Mouldhouse and and Rob Wiley coming down to Carlton? Like I, I don't understand that why I'd, I'd feel like this. Anyway, Shane's got up, he's closed the door, and and again you've mentioned it before. He said, "Mate, you got to realise your your dad's actually broke Mick Mouldhouse's jaw before." And I thought, oh, "Well, that's me done." <laughs> Secondly, he really he goes, "Oh, his jaw, I knocked your teeth out." I think well, it's not much better. <laughs> and 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 the second part was. Rob Wiley, the senior assistant of coach, Mick's right-hand man, that wasn't the only thing. You, you actually kicked him in the guts one day as well. So not only have you, you well, broken... not only have you knocked, hand. Not only have you knocked I out the teeth him, of my coach, hand. I had to do something. you've kicked kick the senior ki- assistant in the guts. Yeah, I thought it might have been a bit hard for you to get a game there. <laughs> <laughs> you did quite well, actually. They looked after you. I was quite surprised. They might have been scared. Oh, 
I don't know about that, but you got it. I think that's the most game you played that year. It was. It? it was. It was my best year. Maybe you should have beat up Leon. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, we talk about that that those times as well. Another funny story pre-season. As you know, I don't think that genetically it runs in the family that we're the fittest blokes getting around. Um, you saw me last night trying to run a 2K time trial. But uh, pre-season, there's some stories that, at, at Princess Park, and for all those people that have been to Princess Park, Icon, you know, where, where Carlton train now, you know that on Royal Parade you can get the tram. History has it that you and a few other boys on the two on the 3.2K time trial that goes around, you'd actually start the time trial, jump on the tram halfway through, catch it down the back, get off the tram, splash water on yourself, and then finish the race. No, that, that was a gatehouse run. That was a rotten gatehouse run where you ran down past the Tarana boys' home and you ran down there, then you come up, come up uh, Flemington Road. So it's not Road, a lie, then. And we, cut, we used to cut through <laughs> near the zoo and sit there, McClure and I, and wait for him to go past. And you wouldn't believe it. One lady on the tram rang up the club and give us up. So we got three weeks and we went to train at 6 o'clock in the morning. Thanks to that lady. I don't know her name, but anyway. Yeah, but but there's, all, there's a few other shortcuts you could do on the on the... On the on the uh, Carlton run, you could cut across it. Wait till they get there and shoot across off that angle, and you know if you're a bit tired. But the worst one was we when you had to run around and they gave you 13 runs to do. You know, go out and see who's what. What's which bank's giving you 10 uh, percent interest at uh, the Royal Melbourne Hospital or something like that? You had to go down and find out how many rinks were on the Carlton Bowling Club. And McClure said all oh, this had to go on for about 10 runs. Ten different venues at the visit. McClure said, "Just come with me." He said, "I got all these. I got the right answers here." <laughs> so we went. To the, we actually went to the pub and had a few beers <laughs> at the University Hotel. Ran back, sprinkled water over, had a roll in the, and got a bit of dust over us. Had a roll there and come back and put our answers in. That dumb prick McClure he had every one of them wrong. <laughs> every one of them wrong. <laughs> Unbelievable. So anyway, we got another one. We got fined for that. Speak on. Early morning training again. Well, but it was good character building. Yeah, no, worked well. You're listening to the Dylan Friends Podcast. For swag merch, check out dylanfriends.com forward slash shop. Uh, on the topic of, of Mark McClure, it seems like there's a, there's a theme here, but a, another one that oh, this actually came from the man himself this morning. You, had, you might have had a later start at training anyway. So you and Salas, Shoko, you've, you've headed to the races to have a few a few bets. And Salas has said, which is Mark McClure, he said, look, we, we've got to get Jimmy, we've got to get back to training. Okay? So mm-hmm. Salas has headed off back to training. He didn't want to be late. You said, mate, I want to stay for one more race. I've got I've got some things going on. I need to have a look. Anyway, Salas has gone back to training. He's trained. He's noticed that you haven't rocked up. You, mm. haven't, came, you haven't come to training at all. Anyway, after training, David Parkins, a coach at the time, he sees you in David Parkins' office going absolutely off at you. He says, Jimmy, you're in strife. You're absolutely in, you're in deep shit. You've missed training. Da-da-da-da. Here's a massive fine. What'd you say? Oh, I had a massive amount of money. I'm at that stage. at about <laughs> 35000 I threw it at him and it, was, it went over Goffey's desk. I said, how much you want? <laughs> Goffey nearly fell over. So the I head said, coach has said to you, I'm going to fine you for being late. And you said, how much do you need? Yeah, I just was trying to be smart and didn't go across too well anyway. Another disciplinary and the reserves again. That's when I met Whopper. <laughs> the reserves that next week. Wish I'd never played reserves. And and then were you back up soon or not? Did you get back into it? Yeah, two weeks I was in the reserves for. But yeah, that happened. That happened to a lot of guys, you know. Oh yeah. On those days, but it's just a, 
you know, they went a bit too hard and too long sometimes. And thank God it's not out there now. The cameras are around out there. What what goes on now? We wouldn't have got a game. You'd probably be in jail. Oh no. Well, speaking of jail, what's that? Remember that? Oh, this is again come off the top of my head. But there's a story again about a time again at the racetrack and your card broken down. So you'd parked it out the front of a jail. Oh, that's on a. That was going to um, to Tura races. I was guest uh, punter, head head punter for the uh, punters club up there, and we're, we're driving to Tura, and I had my old mate pacing Peter driving the car up there, and he said this doesn't look that too much uh, too much petrol in it. He called me boy, said, boy, this it's not too much petrol in this boy. I said just keep going. I said that odometer stuffed. I said it's it's not right. Anyway, we turned just up at Merchant. It's about an eight or eight mile stretch up to. Uh, to the Tour Race Course, and on the way there's Durrangol Jail. Anyway, I wouldn't believe it. The car ran straight out of petrol outside the gate of the Durrangol Jail. I couldn't believe it. There's a channel on the side. We couldn't push it too far off the road. So I said, and you wouldn't believe it, I had a big box of prawns up in the market that day. It was a beautiful 10-kilo box of prawns. <laughs> it was about 48 degrees. So we And everyone had to drive past it, so we hitchhiked up there. We were up there, got into their time and at the races, and... We're doing the punters club. Next thing, I still remember the number plate. It was a busy board car, NZI359. Will you please come to the secretary's? I was urgent. I said, oh, don't tell me someone's run up the back of my car. On the, on the, that's all I need to explain to busy board. I'm at the races. I said, Dick, will be all right, but the rest won't be. Anyway, I said to Peter, pacing Peter, I said, go and find out, Pete, what's happened. Anyway, he came back. He reluctantly came, didn't went up there and came back and, Next, he's flanked by two police. They said, are you Jim Barkley? I said, yes. They said, you're a lucky, lucky man. I said, what's going on? He said, you might have been riddled by bullets. I said, what happened? He said, two blokes escaped from the Durrangold Jail and thought it was their getaway car and they got, tried to get into it and they had no petrol. I said, they're out of luck, those blokes. They both got six months extra on, the, on their term. And I said, I asked the couple, I said, Listen, mate, they didn't pinch me prawns, did they? <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a funny one. Was like, Shane Templeton wrote that up in the paper. It's called Batman and Robin. Oh. They were stiff, those blokes, weren't they? <laughs> um, all right, I want to talk back to back to what we were talking about before, about the boys and the trouble that went along at Carl. Not the trouble, just the good times you had. There's there's rumours and murmurs about the, the drinking. Was it Tuesday night you'd have some beers at the club or was it Wednesday nights? No, was it every night? Monday night we go. Monday we'd, night we'd go to Norton's down there, and you know there'd be, you know, be twenty of us down there. But what's it? What's the one about the the most cans in a sitting that someone had? It was like something like fifty cans. No, that was that was after uh, that was a mad Monday when Perra drank the thirty seven cans in two hours ten minutes. 30, 37 cans in two hours. So what? He was having one every. No, he's shotgunning them. They were all shotgunning them. You know, you shot. You ever do that shotgunning? Oh no, no, I don't know what they are. Well, he, I, I was there with him, and it's a, it's a plaque up on on Brian, Brian uh, Roberts, the Wales uh, pub now. Peter Gims has got it down at our pub down at uh, the Rising Give it a Sun. Shout where out. we drink? Where is it? The Rising Sun. It's in the Rising Sun. The, Whale gave it to Peter. Whereabouts Peter is the died. Rising Sun? In uh, Raglan Street, South Melbourne. Beautiful Ooh, pub down. We love there. that pub. Yeah, and they. There was a contest going on about who could shotgun the quickest. Well, it got out of hand and Perry just kept going and going and going. Next thing, he's done 37 cans and, t- and drinking beers as you go along, mind you. But anyway, last he was last seen heading towards <laughs> the South Melbourne Lake. I think he's going to drown himself. <laughs> <laughs> I took him home. 
and uh, I was going to take him to the hospital, but he he'd, uh, he released a lot of the fluid from him. And I took him under. He wouldn't believe that there's a, a, a garbage strike on in that uh, period of time. And all the bags out of my place were, in Mooney Ponds are stuck up. There'd be 20, 30 bags out there, green big bags of waste. And I got him to the door, and the cab driver said, "You're on your own now." So next thing, Perez fell in the waste bag, in the waste bags over there, and looked like he looked comfortable. So I left him there. And anyway, I got him the next morning. He was green. He was. He was green. <laughs> and he said, "What happened?" So I said, "You idiot." I said, "You." Anyway, he drank 37 cans in two hours, 10 minutes, plus about 12 pots. And uh, it was an amazing day. It was ridiculous, really. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the day that Bernie Evans let the fire, fire hydrant go in the Wales pub and all the tools blew up. <laughs> I was going to kill him. But, uh, yeah, we had those, that was after, after the um, finish of the year, the Mad Monday, which you guys going to. We didn't get dressed up like you guys. <laughs> oh, wow, cool story. You're listening to the Dylan Friends Podcast. Another good time, another good time that we've talked about. This one, again, I don't know a lot about it, but you've gone on a trip in LA. You got you went to LA a fair bit in the off-seasons, and somehow you struck a friendship up with the actor. Now, I've forgotten his name, but he, one of my favourite movies is Kill no, Bill. No, that, that, uh, you know, that was in London. When in we, London? When we did the um, Battle of Britain and that. Three years we did the London game. So that was a part of that as well? That was part of it, yeah. Oh, well, let's go from the start then. So you've gone to London, there was a Battle of Britain, which everyone would have seen, where the, the game where North Melbourne versus Carlton and the Hawthorne coach, John Alistair Kennedy. Clarkson. Ed, yeah. John it, Kennedy was a coach. John, he was a coach, but Alistair Clarkson was playing, player, for, yeah. playing for North Melbourne and he did the, the punch. He punched um, Ian Aitken. Ian Aitken. And also, what, who else was playing in that game? Um, so Gleeson, yeah, Kernahan. What actually happened? David we'd, won the, we'd won the grand final, and and in '87 it wasn't. Actually, I played in the reserves grand final that year, and we won that too. I was captain in the reserves of Harms and a, a few other guys, and I think Fraser Brown was playing in that one. And we had a really good side. Anyway, that's irrelevant. We won that, and we went on, uh, and the seniors won too. So we'd, I'd already gone over there ten days before because I was working for CUB when Jack Johnny Elliott was running it. So Percy and I were forward scouts and promoting the game and promoting the, the great Australian rules thing and anyway no no padding or anything like this stuff anyway we'd we'd also just bought Courage Breweries at the time which uh, was 3,000 pubs that we had to try and have a drink at well Percy tried every one of them I think but I cracked up a relationship we walked into the Mayfair we thought we might as well stay here and give ourselves a spoil the first night you know it's 500 pound a night over there with the one we were going to about 150 pound so we thought we'd done a good job, so we'll give ourselves a sport. We walked in there, and I used to love that kung fu. I'd, go, I'd run home to school to watch it. Anyway, here's David Carradine in the bar. And David Carradine is the... My kung fu man, yeah, yeah. kung fu. Anyway, we cracked up a relationship and showed him a bit what we were about, and, and he was in for a drink. He drank that, I never forget, he drank that Jamison's whiskey. Anyway, by the time we finished his purse, myself, Tommy McDonald, and... David's wife and a few other guys there. It's only a very small bar. Anyway, he didn't know where he was. He didn't know what if he was kung fu or hu fung. <laughs> anyway, he wasn't walking on uh, he wasn't walking on rice paper when we left him. <laughs> but he got in contact with me again, and and he left me a um, when he got back to LA. He left me a car. Then we went to the Radisson, brand new Mercedes, and and a, and a key to his um, condominium at the back. But we were that uh, we were a bit uh, tired at when we got to uh, the Radisson over in uh, Los Angeles. So I didn't take him up on that, but I used to ring him up at night. 
and talk to him. And that, was like, everyone would say, that's bullshit, you can't get Kung Fu on the phone. I could get him all right, no problem at all. <laughs> People are amazed at it. He's a lovely bloke. It's, he's passed away since. It was a bit of fun that with him. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so we're talking that we're over in we're, you're over in Britain. You've met up with David Carradine, and now you're over there to play the game, the Expo game. That's that famous game where there was that massive fight over there that you you'd pretty much organised to go over there and do the CUB. You had to paint it over there. What's that story? Yeah, my job was to put the because um, the the Prince Prince Charles was going a bit dusty. He was he was a bit light on for cash. So John had just bought uh, or Foster's had just bought. Uh, Courage Breweries so I was over there to put the sign on the ground they sent me over earlier and I, I'd, I'd been liaising with the I'd had a bit of uh, forward knowledge I was going over there to do this so you know it's the big, this is the big fossil sign that went on at uh, like, a toy, logo, like a Toyota logo, sign yeah. that would go on over. Yeah. and you got to understand there's never been any logos allowed on any ground because they're all cricket grounds mm-hmm. there's never been football played on it and there's no sign it's ever been allowed so uh, we we paid uh or Foster's paid Prince Charles a million dollars to hire the ground off him for, for two weeks. And I had full full uh, range to do what I wanted to do with the ground. Any type of signage I could get up, I could get up. So the main one was I had to put the painted sign on. And a young guy got me over there, Brent Thompson was arriving over there, and he invited me to the race a few days. And I'd already instructed these people how to do the sign and set it up and get it there. And the, So the big thing is you've got to use flat water-based paint so it can come off. Anyway, they didn't realise what was going on, so and I didn't get back to a few days. And there's a letter come under my door, a note come under my door. John Elliott and Peter Bartow's coming in earlier. I said, jeez, I better get down and see what's going on with this sign. I go down there and here, here they are. They, oh, they had, see, they'd never done it before. So they had spray cans that you spray your kid's bike with. It would have taken three years to do it. And they've got the sign out there and they can't find the other half. All you got to do is flip it over. And I go, I'm in terrible trouble because they're coming tomorrow. I said, what am I going to do here? So the only thing I think of was go to Dulux. i got five blokes and five utes. Go down there and match up the colours, the red, the white, the blue. and Because we're very colour conscious due to the fact that we sponsor every Grand Prix, the Foster's Grand Prix. i got brooms, I've got miners hats so they can work at night. I'm in a real, I'm in a real puzzle here to get it done by morning. I got hats, I got lights out there so I could work for the night. Anyway, you wouldn't believe it. We got it up and I stayed up all night and watched them do it. Anyway, and uh, come the next day, they had a press conference there and I, it looked bloody good. It, it was a beautiful sunny day and I, I said to John, come up and have a look at this. And, you know, John was a very, he's a very powerful man. Anyway. President of Carlton. President of Carlton, but he could have been the Prime Minister, he could have been anything. You know, he run the, he was one of the most powerful men in the world then. Pig's ass! I said, get up behind the camera and have a look at this, because I had the camera. He said, jeez, that's better than the one that was the, on the MCG Grand Final. I said, well, I worked hard, John. I said, I'll be, <laughs> I worked my butt off to get this on. Anyway, you got to understand there's beautiful carpet in all these, you know, the rooms, the rooms are only little cricket rooms. You can put about, you know, they're ready to fit 12 people in. We've got, 35 people would have fit in our rooms, but the beautiful carpet going. I mean, anyway, the game started, and I said, I might be in trouble. I thought I might have been in a bit of trouble before it started. <laughs> and next thing, blokes are rolling over and they're looking at themselves, they can't get this paint off. It's sticking to them. And they, on their boots, they walked it up and all on the carpet. Anyway, trying to rub it off at half time. Anyway, you wouldn't believe it. I've, I've had to come to the guts. I put, uh, I put full gloss on it. Well,. They certainly got his money's worth, John, because it couldn't. Uh, England were playing India in a, in a test match eight months later. Then it was still on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and 
<laughs> the secretary the, or the president, Rowan Sobolo, rang up John. He said, John, he said, we've got a small problem over here. He bang on a bit. He said, what's that, Rowan? He said, we can't get these fossils off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> he said, what's your suggestion? He Jack, took a puffy cigarette. He said, I think you're going to dig it out. <laughs> Anyway, it's, it's gone around the world, that sign, that uh, that story. Thank you to me. <laughs> but they had to rip the carpet up and everything. And, oh, there's people running out there saying, sacrilege, sacrilege, there's never been any signage here. But so I've sort of, I've got a niche on that, that I was the first one to put signage in England and stuffed up the ground. <laughs> anyway. So, I never got, he offered me 10000 He never gave it to me, though. Well, Can you ask him for it next week? Yeah, well. <laughs> no. Um, I want to talk about... Something famous in Carlton Land that is a big factor, I suppose, back in the day, especially when you were playing. But the Carlton crew. Now, everyone knows, I've heard of the Carlton crew. you got, like, the, the gangsters. And we know the story because of it's been publicised now. But, like, Alphonse Gaggetano, all the Morans and all and whatnot. What was it well, like? you met Alphonse. He'd come in and seen you. I know. <laughs> always, sorry, so what was it like playing with them? And then, I suppose, off-field, like, how was it? Did you know exactly what was, was happening at the time? Did you know they were as big as what they were? No, not really. Look, we they came to the, the the Carlton crew were they're not even Carlton supporters, most of them. You know, Mick Mick and all the guys that they call the Carlton Mick Mick's a Collingwood supporter. Mick Gatto, that yeah. is. Yeah. Mick, he's a lovely bloke, you know. He's and, a great um, man, big fan of the show, I think, as well. Yeah. I'm gonna get him on one day. Definitely. Uh you know, the half of them didn't marry for Carlton. That was that's all paper talk because they used to stay. They used to have eating Carlton all the time. That's where that came from and all that. But you know, Alphonse was a good mate of uh you know, a lot of us down there, and you know, the, it's well documented. The Morans were, were you know, their um, grandfather was was um, one of the doorkeepers down there, Leo Brooks, beautiful bloke. You know, no no doubting that in the book that comes out, you know, that uh, some of the great players of Carlton stayed and lived there at Drummond Street with Leo Brooks, Mike Fitzpatrick, Bazusto, McClure. Oh, John had a stint there. I stayed a few nights, but you know the list goes on and on and on. Who stayed at that? Uh, EJ Witten was there every second day, frequently there, and it was a um, it was a place to go and have a bit of fun. It was Leo's, and there's a bit of there's a bit of um, tradition to it. But yeah, Leo was a great old bloke, and it was on the door, and he was well respected by the players down there. And is it true that when Alphonse passed away, your he, your jumper was actually buried on his coffin? Yeah, one of my jumpers went in with Alphonse in those days. I wish I had it now. I could have sold it. <laughs> I know who gave it to him. It wasn't Kenny Kleiman, I know that. But anyway, but somehow we got one of the jumpers in there cause, and, and went down with him. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's it, you know, they loved, uh, you know, you've seen them with the football and all that, but they respected us for what we did and we stayed out of their way. <laughs> You're listening to the Dylan Friends Podcast. Check out more eps at dylanfriends.com. Footy was going obviously very well. You'd won the three flags. You'd had a lot of injuries. Your ankle was busted. You had the ankle injury that you had the floating bone in your ankle for a few years. And yeah, yeah, that was a that was a an absolute debacle. That was it. You know, like I to this day I don't know what happened really. But I, one minute I'm playing 100 percent and probably most one of the most valuable players in the league. The next next year I couldn't run around at all. I'd I'd run 100 yards and hit the ground. And you know I got operated on and. Uh, by a surgeon down in uh, the avenue, and he told me I was full of arthritis, which I found hard to believe. I won't name the bloke, but he knows who he is. <laughs> and he operated on me again. And and, that, and what you're doing is you're favouring your leg all the time, 
And so what happens, your, your other leg starts to, starts to wither and um, you lose your balance and the camp, you, you can't run and you can't do things that you should have been able to do that you used to be able to do and catch blokes, that sort of stuff. So it becomes very frustrating. And you get, I got reported a number of times over that because it's just doing your head in because you did, couldn't do things that you, you know you can do, but your leg wouldn't let you. And I got up right on a third time because they were going to sell me car. I wasn't worth something because I couldn't stand up, but... A bloke called Ian Henderson operated on me the third time, and I was, you know, I was really down and in, in, in a dark space at the time because of the um, injury. And he operated, and it was he operated about two hours. And under the knuckle, when he pulled the knuckle back, he said he's never seen anything like it. He's four pips like a lemon fell out from under the knuckle. So I was getting cortisone all the time, and that, you get about ten or fifteen minutes relief from it. Then they'd be sucked back out when the cortisone had come off and dropped you to the ground. But he said he's never seen ink like he's like. I think it was from a kick. He's trying to tell me it was a. Well, we know what it was, but there's a piece kicked off the back of my heel and shattered like lemons. And uh, but after that, I came good. But it took another twelve months to rebuild to get anywhere near the, you know, back to senior level and doing the things that you should have done because I was my whole back and side was you know side of your body was was um, fatigued because the um, favouring the other leg. And then you nearly went to Essendon. Yeah, we, yeah. We, well, I, we both could have been two yeah. club champions. Well, that was a. I'm glad I never went anywhere else. I, was, I tried to go to Essen. I was only bluffing him to get a bit more money, and uh, Lofty wouldn't because Lofty was. He loved the style of play I played, and I was a good mate. He wouldn't let me go, and as I said before, he was a power broker, Carlton. He pulled the reins of everything, you know. Uh, yeah, but I didn't go to Essen. That's a great side in those days. Shooty wanted me to come over there, but but I'm glad I stayed a one man player, one man team actually. Uh, all right, enough about footy because that's yep. not all we're doing here. But basically, get on to you and Jessica, and yeah, let's let's get to the crux of it. What, what's it like being the dad of an absolute superstar? Well, it's it's intimidating. <laughs> Do you find now because growing up, everyone used to say that's Jim Buckley's son. I think the tide's starting to turn. You, you, it you is. You're now yeah, my dad. I know. I know they all want to. They want to see if we can get Dylan. They don't want me anymore. <laughs> yeah, these things happen. You know. But that's good. That's that's what that's what I. Put you on this earth for doing Jessica. They've both done well. Look, Jessica's a magnificent dancer. She went, you know, the ballet's the most disciplined sport you've ever seen. And she, she had a time at that. She was fantastic Germany. at it overseas. And that you were lazy as anything. It's, I uh, didn't want to go to school. You hated school. I liked. You, you didn't I, even like football. No. Until really. we got you down there and got you going with all the fits around and you met up with your mates down there and, and you know Brock and Maddie did a great job of your kids down there and all your coaches. When you won premierships, and that that gave me great delight seeing that. You know, and you're playing against guys like, you know, Mitchell, Tommy uh, Mitchell, Toby, Toby Green. You, you didn't know those kids were going to turn out how they were. You know, mm. and uh, it was a great relationship. But it was great watching that because it was so uh, so full on in those ages. You know, and that's what that's about that winning spirit. What would be the most proud you reckon you've been of me in my career? Oh, what would it be? Well, I didn't see you kick your first goal. I left. <laughs> I was gone. I was, I was sub. I, I was gone. I know. I'd, I, you didn't think I'd get on that early? Because no, Cruz broke his thumb, no, I think. No, I didn't know. I didn't even know you were on. I heard this old mighty roar. I was at the back having a yeah, drink. I said, that'll happen. Then, no, Jeannie Pratt grabbed me by the neck on the way through. She said, your son's kicked a goal. Anyway, I reckon that'd probably go down. If you, if you went through the timing, that I reckon probably that was the quickest goal that anyone, the first player's ever kicked in their life. Yeah. Not match up enough, though, but it was Anyway, a good goal. that doesn't matter. It's, there have been a lot worse than that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, 
doesn't matter what you did, I was proud of you. You know, you, you've been a good, uh, you've been a good son. And uh, Jesse, you know, I'm proud of both your kids. You know, it's been fantastic. Were you proud of me the day that I, I flooded the house? Oh, yeah, genius you are. <laughs> How many times you flood the house? I flooded it twice. Oh God. Anyway, the insurance bloke wasn't, but anyway, I got around him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, when you burnt your head off, you nearly blew your head off one yeah, day. Yeah, that was good. The um, blew your eyebrows off. Yeah, they weren't needed. No, that was the the stove. Um, no, the barbecue. You thought you're a barbecue expert. Yeah, well, I did. But the funny thing is, half the story you probably don't know about, which is which is helping me anyway. Mm. Yeah, on that, me playing, and I know that you're obviously proud of me, but it was hard for probably both of us when I was playing because one, everyone would always ask me. You know, what's your dad think of you playing? Does he put too much pressure on you at all? And from my point of view, like I've, I'm the luckiest man in the world because I have the two best parents in the world. They both put no pressure on me whatsoever. Um, if it wasn't for me, I probably would have turned out pretty bad because I never had to do anything I didn't want to do, which was lucky. Mm. Um, but in saying that, you're always there to support me. You never, Mum and Dad never missed a game. Getting picked up, getting to the club, they always asked me, was there pressure from Dad from, from that? Not at all. Um, but what was it like for you, I suppose, in saying that? Like, you would have to cop a brunt of it from me playing footy. What was it like, you know, being a club legend then seeing your son ultimately ending at Carlton? And it was, that would have been probably pretty hard, especially, you know, leaving when I had to leave. Yeah, look, I never I never had, um, as you said, I didn't I didn't put my nose in where it wasn't wanted. You know, and I, I just let you run your own race. And I never, ever had any conflict with Carlton over it, you know. Even though I felt like it a few times, but I stayed, I stayed out of it. You don't want the parents coming in and doing well. And I've seen parents, and they're worst things in the world. It's, your kids don't want you to see that happen. And and I never had any conflict, Carlton. Even when Stephen Silvani rang me up and said, you know, yeah, I knew it was hard for Stephen. You know, he's very, very, you know, upset on the phone. I said, Stephen, I said it happens every time. It happens everywhere. It's not the be all end of a life. I said, and Dylan, Dylan, going to better and better things. You know, and I can, uh, you know, it's very stressful watching you. And, and I mean, it would have been for my parents. It's for all parents, you know, because the game is a is a is a brutal sport. You know, they, people are going a hundred mile an hour. You weren't the biggest guy playing out there, either. You know what I mean? You, and you took on the biggest. That's what I loved about your style of game. You know, you had no fear in you, and that's where you, that, that's that's probably where you um, you know, I say proud in that situation. You know, and but the thing being, it, it is it is hard. I know your mother walked around and wore about 10 pair of shoes out every year. I don't think mum ever could sit down and watch me play footy, ever. No, no. She, you're trying to walk around, the, walking around the back of the ground there somewhere. But, you know, it, it's it's hard. It's very stressful. And a lot of other parents go through it too. But, you know, and when you get hit, and you're, you had that bad hit. That was the thing that worried me about that bad hit when you got hit in the head out at uh, Casey Fields that day when that bloke put the knee through your head there. And... That was probably the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. I, the most scariest I've ever been for both of you children when I was in that ambulance where you're going to, because I thought they're going to operate on you, mm. and because uh, you had a bleed on the brain, and you got a massive dent in his head, and which I <laughs> still there. Yeah, and uh, that that was as scary as I've ever seen. I didn't think you were hurt, and I was yelling out to you, "Get up, get up!" <laughs> Next thing, bang, he went backwards, and uh, I'll never forget because I was doing X-rays and that, and they had to rush him from. Uh, one of was it where um, Berwick into Monash and going to to uh, emergency surgery and on the way through and luckily they the bleed hadn't continued to bleed and but that's as that's as frightening as I've ever been of anything you on the football field or anywhere that it is it was scary but what have you made of the second half of my life now the podcasting game I know when I first because you're always about 
for me, it was always about, and I've got to thank you for this because I do, I do definitely the one thing I've learned from you that you've taught me is to always sort myself out off field. And that was the biggest thing you ever said to me. Um, it, it wasn't really too much about footy and giving me advice. It was more like work out what you want to do with your life because there's more to it than just playing footy. So that was always a big passion for me. You always wanted me to get into building. Mm. I can do that another time. But podcasting, what was the first thing you thought when I said I want to start a podcast? Well, I didn't know what a podcast was until you, until I, well, it was, you got into it pretty early, you know, that was, I, it was going around, but I didn't know what it was and I'd never heard one before, but, but no, it's, 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 you know, very, very interesting and, and it must be great for you to interview guys that you've have got uh, total respect for and it's great to see that they have got the respect for you also because, you know, you're getting people that from all levels and, and all uh, types of, of, of games and it's it's a great attribute. You've Has got. anyone come up to you at the pub and asked you for a t-shirt? About two or thousand people. Well, today's your first day. You've asked me for one of these. I had that to get them made, me. a special size. I had to tie two of them together. Yeah, that's Bogart, isn't it? This is Bogart's. Yeah, Other top. Dylan Friend's t-shirt. You, you get that me, coming on the Give on me two hundred of them. I can sell them. Yeah, they're selling. Don't worry. You can find them on, online, dylanfriends.com forward slash shop. I went out the other night to see your mother folding up stubby holders. <laughs> Mum's my number one worker. You know, she's a, the number one ticket holder of this show. She puts a show together and and she also um, does some does some admin and that sort of stuff as well. So, How much you charge for stubby holders? You're the dearest stubby holder in Australia. <laughs> Mum's the queen of the delivers, so it's all good. Dad, I, I think we've covered it all. Do you think that's that's about it? Yeah, look, just uh, it's it's great to be on here, and uh, I don't know why it took so long, but you know you've had a lot of more important guests than me on here, but it's it's, it's great to see you going so well, and your mate Luca who looks after you, and uh, he does a great job, and wish he's back at Carlton looking after me down there. <laughs> Dad, thanks again. Uh, couldn't be prouder to be your son. I've learned a lot from you. Looking forward to um, a few cordials together in the future, and um, love you to death. Thanks, Dad. Go on, yeah, Dylan. Only started, mate. That's You're it. right on it. Mate. Thanks for listening to the Dylan Friends podcast. The show is produced by Dylan Buckley and Luca Ganano. Richard Stansbury looks after the audio and editing. Samuel Kenny Creative is responsible for branding and graphic design. And the show is recorded at 3AW Studios, Collins Street, Melbourne. If you would like to contact my son, head to dylanfriends.com or look me up in the white pages and I'll pass it on. All right, Dad. Cheers again. Thanks for coming on the show. No problem, mate. Pleasure. Oh, appreciate it. Love it. Um, what about just a quick kiss on the lips? You're kidding, aren't you? <laughs> That's for the Sheridans and the Jakeys and the Tabies of the world. Yeah. Hey? <laughs> Leave us out. We're not like that. The Come on, Dad. Just a quick kiss on the lips. No. <laughs> KO's got you covered this footy season with every game of every round live and ad break free during play. Wow, in the AFL this week, there are some huge games. Collingwood versus Adelaide, live with no ad break string play, exclusive in Victoria. Giants versus Bulldogs. Oh, I remember that game. I think it was 2016 at Giants Stadium to get the Bulldogs into the grand final. I will never forget that one. Live with no ad breaks free during play, exclusive in Victoria. And Essendon versus North Melbourne. Geez, that's the old Ben McKay Cup. Exclusive to Fox Footy, available on KO. Don't forget those NBA playoffs. They are dominating at the moment. It is just getting bigger and better than ever. Watch every game of both Eastern and Western Conferences finals live with ESPN on KO. There's plenty of room for everyone, no matter what you want to watch. So get on board with KO. Now also available on Hubble.